everyone and welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the podcast covering every horror movie franchise or theme one movie in one episode at a time i'm one of your hosts mike snoonian joined once again by my co-host Lindsay travis Lindsay, how are we i'm good how are we really how are we really you know listen (laughs) we all have ups and downs in lockdown and uh you know this isn't my highest peak Mm -hmm. but i'm ready to rock Excellent. I'm ready to talk about some bleak horror. We are here to depress the shit out of you today, audiences. What we are here <laughs> to do is we want you to feel. And the good thing is this episode drops like the day after Valentine's Day, which Ooh. is already a crappy holiday for so many people. So basically, our goal tonight is to leave you, dear listener, in a sobbing mess in your bedroom listening to like old cure records and old mm. smith records going i didn't and i want you to right now when this is over i want you to call your parents and go i never asked to be born anyways and then hang up that's really the vibe grim. we're going here that's the grim that's it right out the gate like right really setting gate. expectations we are <laughs> setting a tone here we are here to hurt you um but first we are to introduce a wonderful first time guest to our show tonight, uh, we've had their co-host on for, uh, I think, multiple episodes at this point. But please welcome Mary Beck. Let's try that again. <laughs> please, let's welcome to the show the co-host of the Scarred for Life podcast and a critic whose work has appeared on Film School Rejects, Certified Forgotten, RogerEbert.com, recently in the We Are Horror Zine and Grim Magazine. Mary Beth May... Wow. <laughs> Mary Beth McAndrews, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am super excited to have you because we've had Terry a couple times now uh, and we're done with him. He's, you know, we just... Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, off. he's old news. He's <laughs> No, I am very excited because as a follower of your work and like a listener of the Scarred for Life podcast, I am really happy to finally get a chance to talk movies with you. Um, Thank you. Especially one that I know you're really excited to talk. So I'm so excited that you came to me about this movie. I know, it's great. So our theme for the next four or five shows, we are going to be dealing with films that are part of the new wave French extremity of horror and maybe like one that is kind of outside of that kind of time frame but basically listeners strap in because you're going to be getting some really kind of like dark gory bloody philosophically and existentially heavy films for the next like we've been doing urban legend we've been doing sinister we've been doing final destination and fun time is over, kids. It is now 
time to weep. There's so, ever yay. been a sales pitch for French extremity. <laughs> That's the one. That it really is, is the one. <laughs> It really is. I think like French extremity, fun time is over. I think is definitely where we're at right now. But what mm-hmm. movie are we here to talk about tonight, friends? What are we kicking things off with? Which let's let take it away, guest. <laughs> we're going to let our guest introduce this movie. Let's do it. Um, we are kicking off with uh, Pascal Longer. Lo- oh no! I help me. Think because I was listening I to, I think yes, I think because I was listening to horror queers today, and I believe, and I I was going to pronounce it lager as in like the beer, but oh, I, I believe it's a soft, like a soft J sound. Is it pa- uh, Pascal Lager? I would assume Pascal Lager. Okay, okay we're going that's what I would it. assume. I'm like I'm not the expert, but we're that going. was what I assumed. Um. Okay, we are talking about Pascal Lager's martyrs from 2008 yes now do not take my pronunciation advice um and you're doing like whoop whoop in the background yeah. which is <laughs> why we need to start getting this on video it took me three tr- <laughs> it took me three tries to get mcandrews correct so please my pronunciation may be poor so just just it's saying good. so we wanted to start I-, I wanted to start basically with what i think is the kind of pinnacle of this movement I think it's the film that is probably most closely tied and associated with it overall. Um, There are a couple others like that we're going to get to. um, But I think when people think of extreme French horror, this is really in most cases, like the first movie that would come to mind. So I thought let's start with this one and then kind of work our way back a little bit, even though this kind of came at the tail end of what I would say, like the peak of the movement, um, it's really one of the later examples of it. Um, yeah. I think it's kind of where everything kind of comes together. So I guess I'll start, you know, Mary Beth with, uh, and do you prefer Mary Beth or Mary? Mary Beth. Please. Mary Beth. Okay. Just to make sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks. So I guess like, what was your kind of like introduction or start or like dipping your toes in the water to like French horror in general? So I took a really awesome class um, when I was in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, my sophomore year, I took a horror film class, um, all about horror. It was it was the coolest. I went to this Amazing. tiny liberal arts school. There were like no film classes, but the one film professor loved horror and always taught the horror classes. So it was the best. And he had like loved queer horror and he loved Japanese horror. Like we had the best kind of like we watched um, mm-hmm. Tetsuo the Iron Man wow. like with, I, that like blew my mind but so we had a unit on New France Extremity and we watched High Tension mm-hmm. and we talked about High Tension and the kind of look at the final girl and that's how we talked about gender and horror which is so mm-hmm. cool so I I saw that one and then at the end of the semester we chose between uh Inside or Cannibal Holocaust mm-hmm. and we chose Inside mm-hmm. so that was the year of <laughs> New French Extremity, and mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. Like, I just had to get, I had to get more after I saw those mm-hmm. two films. What so was it like when you, after watching High Tension and Inside, because High Tension in, in particular, like, it's tough on the rewatch, I think, when you know the twist is coming. And I, I remember the first time that I saw High Tension, my friend showed it to a group of us, and he made it a point to pause the movie right before the reveal, and he didn't spoil it. But what he did do was go on a four-minute tirade 
about how the reveal spoils the movie mm. and just went bananas. And then he hit play again. And then um, we just watched watched it. What was it like when you saw, and you have, okay, so I can see right now, like you may disagree with that. What do you mean? What do you mean? I bet. What do you mean? I disagree with. With like, I just the look I'm seeing. Like he felt like when he saw High Tension, like he loved the movie up until that big reveal at the end. Oh, like, oh, oh! I <sighs> see. I didn't mind the reveal on first mm-hmm. watch. I thought it was like I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, I I knew there were so many plot holes, but I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I thought I just like had such a good time watching it that I was like, fuck yeah, this is everything. Mm-hmm. And then when I rewatched it, I still loved it. But the problem I had with it became the um, representation of lesbians and queer mm-hmm. love and mm-hmm. how like crazy women, crazy lesbians are like mm-hmm. murderous. And so that was the kind of what bothered me more than anything else was that representation of monstrous yeah. queerness. Like, mm-hmm. yes, the plot holes, like <laughs> there's, I watched, with my, yeah. we, I watched it with my friend and it took us so long to watch it because we kept pointing out like okay so why did that happen and we just mm-hmm. like we it was ridiculous yeah but i still love watching it mm-hmm. <laughs> despite it kind of being not great i, right. I love it yeah i think yeah. i like i would probably say something similar like the twist i'm a nitpicker naturally but i also think nitpicking is like bad film criticism so like i can separate those two things so I remember like when that twist happened, the first thing I thought of, and I saw it a really long time ago, but I remember being like that opening shot with the like, I don't want to say blowjob because that's not really what it is. Nope. <laughs> okay. Yes. Thank you I for bringing like, this up. <laughs> that was my like first, I was like, oh, um, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of, I, ha- I was like, uh, um, but then, yeah, it didn't like kill it for me, but it definitely just like, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I still like it, but it's not a good great movie mm-hmm. i guess is where i would come at the end of that but you can't think too hard about it it's yeah like not a it's not a movie that wants you to really critically engage with it on any level other mm-hmm. than just like oh she's got a big chainsaw <laughs> like right. that's what it feels Quite, like to yeah. me <laughs> like and that's I, the cover shot <laughs> and i think that kind of follows like aja's trajectory throughout his career like he makes some real like he's gone on to have like a pretty good amount of success here in the states with films like piranha and a couple years ago with crawl and i would say like he makes like fun popcorn movies that tend to fall apart a little bit if you look at them too closely but they tend to be pretty good times overall mm-hmm. um, yeah i love crawl crawl is so great fun. crawl so written fun. by boston's own sean and michael rossman like two super nice dudes from our area our area and neck of the woods um, oh, cool! and i have like a nice picture i bumped into them um, at the theater one day we they used to come to like a movie night I ran every now and again and we were chatting I've got like a nice picture of them somewhere of them standing in front of the marquee for crawl like this huge giant poster cut out like right before it uh had come out and that was kind of neat like they were so pumped to That's see so something cool. come so up yeah cool. two like super nice dudes that deserve all their success um <laughs> So looking forward 10 years from now, finding out horrific things about them now, the way the world is <laughs> like, boy. you know, like, did oh, you boy. know they, did you know they used to like make beavers fight? Like, you know, just oh. like, you know, just what? So really sick shit. Um, sorry. I, 
not saying that that's what they do. Already getting so dark, and we haven't even gotten to. Sorry. We haven't even gotten. But I so, haven't gotten to the movie. So when you're like after you watch like High Tension and Inside, what would you say the appeal like is, or what is for like this kind of horror, like French horror in general? What called you to it? So I used to think I hated gore. Like mm-hmm. I thought like Saw and Hostel scared the shit out of me. Like I didn't mm-hmm. want to do it. I would get nauseous. But somehow these movies didn't bother. Or like they showed me that it doesn't bother me that much. And I think, I can't really explain to you why. I think mm-hmm. the reason I, th- I think I like the, the gore in New French Extremity Horror feels a little bit more purposeful to me mm-hmm. than in torture porn where it's more of a spectacle, but the violence in New French Extremity is kind of like, it's not a spectacle, but just like a symptom of what's going on, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think that really got my attention and that use of um, of those tropes. Because I also like, I'm so used to women always being like damsels in distress. And in these mm-hmm. movies, the, they're they're evil but also badass Mm -hmm. and i think that also really attracted me to the genre of seeing like pretty strong female characters versus what i had usually seen in horror Mm -hmm. so then i immediately was like all right cool let me just look at all the listicles of all of the movies that i need to see and then i decided that i was just gonna dump jump right in and watch martyrs next Mm -hmm. so i ordered the blu-ray without even had seen having seen it and just Mm -hmm. dove right in dove right in excellent I like your point about how the gore or the extremity in these movies, it's not really for spectacle or for show sake. And I think that that's a really important distinction. I think like in like the American counterparts, because this is like a lot of these films are kind of lumped in with like your hostel with like the uh, Rob Zombie films of the time, like House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, where it's to a certain degree the gore and the violence was made to still kind of titillate and it was still made to entertain the audience. It was like, Hey, all the things you liked about like eighties horror, we're going to like turn those things up to 11 at this point. And you're still going to be able to like enjoy that where there is nothing in a lot of these films. There's not martyrs in particular, you're kind of made i think the close it's more of a, a close comparison would be to something like michael haneke does with films like um yeah cache with funny games where you're making the audience like a really unwilling spectator in what's going on and it's not and it doesn't have that same like haneke tends to kind of scold the audience a little bit uh even while he's yeah. kind of guilty of putting this on screen which is why i'm not a huge purporter of his films um but um and i'm probably misusing that word but that's okay um the but i would say like here like you're getting these movies that where you're so steeped in violence and bloodshed and gore that you just become like an unwilling participant in what's going on especially with the way some of these things are like framed and shot um yeah, I would hundred percent. Oh, yeah, that is like very on par with how how I think about these movies and why I I love them so much and why I even call movies like this beautiful, which is always very like off putting mm-hmm. to people at first. They're like, doesn't she get flayed alive? Like, isn't mm-hmm. she like, isn't it brutal? And I said, but there's something like poetic about how they use the violence to make it more than just like, oh God, his head exploded. But it's like much much more methodical and much mm-hmm. more pretty to look at. No. I know that sounds so weird saying that, but that's how I feel. <laughs> that yep. is how I feel. <laughs> it's all right. 
And how about for yourself, Lindsay? Like, I know, like, when we first kind of raised, like, hey, this is the next, like, series of movies we're going to go, like you had said, like, these aren't generally, like, your cup of tea or forte. Like, as you uh, kind of, like, approach them, how do you feel, like, heading into this? Yeah, I feel like I'm along for this journey in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not a scholar of French extremity or new French extremity. Um, I did some like research to prep kind of thing. Like it's definitely not something I'm super, super familiar with. I'm intrigued by it because I'm obviously intrigued by a lot of the, you know, women focus and feminist mm -hmm. elements and the political um, messaging that, you know, was usually kind of, or not even necessarily messaging, but motivations that's usually kind of slapped on them. So that's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm really excited to learn about it, but it's definitely not something that I'm super, super versed mm -hmm. in. Um, like I was saying, like I've seen high tension. I was like, okay, I get it. And I remember, you know, I've seen bits and pieces of a lot of movies we're going to um, be tackling. And it's when I say it's not my thing, it's like one of those things just like decidedly just like, <clears throat> excuse me, where it's decidedly just not something that I personally enjoy, but it's never something that I would say like, oh, it's bad. It's not like, mm -hmm. it's just something that, and, and it's weird because um, in the inverse, like I'm listening to you two talk about things like torture forms. Like I totally love, like it's no secret that I love the Saw mm -hmm. franchise. I love, like, I love the hostile movies and watch them often. Like I love that kind of trash. So it's so weird that for some reason that they've added something, you know, these tend to be like thicker, denser movies that also have torture porn. And I could not explain to you why I prefer one over the other. I think a big part of it for me is that what I tend to like about torture porn is that it's like dumb and it's very easy to just like mm. shut off and enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that's kind of like, I just think it's like dumb and oh gross versus like this is much more engaging in mm -hmm. a way that I'm like I don't want those two things together if that makes any sense yes <laughs> it <laughs> does know? oh, oh yes and so I think and I think that's why it's really it's hard for me to kind of lump a movie like Martyrs in under the torture porn yeah. umbrella because I yeah. think like it's um I think it's like not, you know, I don't want to call movies disposable. That would be the wrong term, but it's not going for like that kind of popcorny entertainment where like to your point, Lindsay, you can kind of turn the movie off and go like, it was super cool when that student got her eyeball like blowtorch. Um, like that yeah. was, oh yeah. Because, I mean, it was dope. <laughs> it was, you know? Yeah, um, I think it's like, you know, talking about things like comfort horror, like, I was talking about Friday the 13th with some people recently mm. and we were like, dis of course, which is why I hate rankings, but that's a whole other conversation. We were all disagreeing over which ones were like our favorites mm. or the best. And everyone was like dunking on the first three. And I was like, you know what? I like kill compilations because they're just... I, that's what I want to like that's more comforting for me mm -hmm. so yeah I think like I'm actually pretty excited to dive into French extremity because it's something that I just was so so not into and I'm kind of like excited to like get hyped about it like the more mm -hmm. I like read about it so like I that's what I mean where like I'm coming on this journey with the listeners in a weird way mm -hmm. like I feel like I'm like yeah guys tell me things make me you know anyway and I feel like I'm gonna come out the other side like way more interested in this yeah. genre <laughs> Let's Yay. see. I'm hoping. I am hoping. And I know for me, it's going to be a little bit like I think I've seen um, all I know. I've, I think I've seen I know I've seen all the movies we're going to talk about when we discuss them. But I'm definitely looking forward to kind of engaging them in like a more critical way, in a more hopefully a more educational way. But um, 
my yeah. like our theme for this should be like you know that meme of the person like sitting at the like lemonade stand type thing where it's like change my mind it'll just be yes. like me like french extremity is not for me change my mind change my mind and let's <laughs> see how it theme. ends at the end of it <laughs> um excellent um all right so i think we should start well let's start at the beginning i think like one of the things that is amazing about this movie is how that intro to the first act because what you have at the movie it's the start of this movie a young girl comes running like just tearing out of a building she's bloodied she's beaten she's scarred up and she's just screaming and it cuts very quick cuts to some news footage of this uh, abandoned building getting explored and saying well there were some horrific things that went on here and then you have like the orphanage scene and you see you find out the girl is uh, lucy and she befriends a young girl named Anna at the orphanage. And it becomes apparent pretty quickly that Anna is kind of Lucy's protector. That when Lucy is having like a bad episode, the actual clinicians or overseers at the, or staff at the orphanage, like want Anna to kind of protect her. And I think in one of the really heartbreaking moments of that kind of what I would call the prologue, you see Lucy like hiding in a bathtub and her arms are just cut to shreds in um, self-harm. Um, and what she says is like, I didn't do this. Um, she's still coming after me. And you come later on you in the next scene, see this, what I would say almost like straight out of a J horror movie, like this emaciate, emaciated, long stringy haired um, woman that just haunts this girl in her sleep. And did you, Mary Beth, when you first watched this, did you assume that this was like a creature that was lived in Lucy's imagination? Or were you like, oh, we're going to get like a more traditional monster movie right now? I was kind of, I always want a monster movie. So like mm -hmm. that was my, I was like, I was pretty sure it's going to be the usual, like, oh, it's in her head, but I was kind of getting hyped for the idea of there actually being something haunting mm -hmm. her or some kind of monster. But regardless, it sure as hell got my attention yeah. when, I, when I first started watching it. It's yeah, it definitely it's it's quite a start and I think it lays it out. But I think one of the things that uh, Lager does so well is he disarms the viewer like right away with the next scene because you go from that and you have the title card of Martyrs come up comes up and you have this really just run-of-the-mill boring um like saturday morning lazy um breakfast you know breakfast scene with this family of four that really could have come out of like a good housekeeping magazine like you know two perfect looking young children you know attractive mom uh, you know kind of a mopish dad you know typical kind of you know older middle class dad and they're just sitting around the table and you think, okay, I've seen horror movies before. Someone from this family is going to either get kidnapped or the family, they're going to fall victim to whatever this girl from the beginning fell victim to. But that's not what you get. You get this, you think it's going to be this really like typical horror story. You get Lucy 10 years later, show up on their doorstep unannounced and just proceed to gun down the whole family. And unlike typical movie making where it just like you get these pratfalls like the violence is just so quick and so brutal and it's hard to watch 
I think this was the first movie where I saw like kids get shot like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really upsetting to me because I had never seen this was again, like this was my first step into like any kind of extreme horror at mm-hmm. like at all. So I was very shocked by yeah. deaths of the kids, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kids out there are also like brutal too. I always think yes. um I think we talked about this a Final Destination three or four, where one of the scariest things in horror movies is that moment where someone like begs for their life. Mm. Oh yes, and it's just like you're just like no, I don't want to hear it, mm-hmm. and so like it just makes your whole body hurt. And I feel like the daughter when she's kind of like screaming, and then the son when he kind of like knows he's toast, and those moments are just like oh god, just yeah, yeah. they get you. Did you feel when you watched this that the son was going to live? I did. Is that so stupid? Mm-hmm. No. I don't know why I thought it. I thought one of them, I thought, I thought the kids were going to, maybe because I just like didn't expect them to get shot. I thought there was going to be like some story about the like, because we just saw a woman or a young girl running away. So mm-hmm. when she started to run away, I was like, oh, maybe she's going to kind of get away from this precarious situation mm-hmm. too. Um, but I guess that was maybe a little... I should have remembered where I was. And I think like <laughs> I think like the newspaper clipping even like show that she was like a track star or some sort of star athlete. So you, you know, I think when I first saw it, you know, my mind went to, oh, she's going to like run off into the woods. Like she's going to like escape into the woods and there's going to be either a chase or she's going to get away and the action is going to continue from there. So I, you know, what, what really struck me, right? What really struck me about this was just how quick everything moves. Like there's not a moment that's wasted. Nothing is really drawn out. Um, And it's just, it's like, this is what violence would look like. Like if you were to create a doc, if you were just watching this play out in real time or in the real world, like this to me is kind of what would happen. And seeing that, that 10 year old girl, just after watching her family gun down and then screaming, and like I, what this movie did that I really like is every horror movie I've ever watched, people manage to stay very quiet very easily despite absolutely horrific situations. And I think that if you are afraid for your life, you're going to find it, especially at that age, you're going to find it really hard. And what gives her away is that whimpering from the other room. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. And then the shot of Lucy just standing over the bed and the feathers coming up is just, it's perfect. It's a great shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great shot. It's scary because you almost think that like, she can do it. It's going to take her too long mm -hmm. to reload. So it also, it creates like, it's like cool looking. The feathers and the whole bit looks really cool. Mm -hmm. But it's also like such a Mm -hmm. tension raising moment. Yeah. High tension, if you will. (laughs) Thank you. That was generous. Thank you. (laughs) The question I have is, do you think, obviously you learned the parents are in on this whole martyrdom. Do we think that the kids know what the parents are doing? See, okay. I've been thinking about this question Mm -hmm. and I keep changing my answer because I, on one hand, I'm like, oh, they would never expose their kids to something like this. But on the other hand, this is the kind of 
cult society that seems maybe to like want everyone to be involved and like mm-hmm. understand the implications of what they're doing. Um, also, I just feel like parents can't hide things as easily as they think they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> but that's just, that's what I, I mm-hmm. think the kids, if they didn't explicitly know, they probably had some kind of idea in, mm-hmm. in my reading of the movie. I felt like when I watched this again, that, and this is an idea I come around to a lot of times, is like no one ever thinks they're the bad guy in their story. Like even history's most horrible villains think that what they're doing, even if the consequences are terrible, they're doing it for a just cause. They're doing it because they want yeah. to make the world a better place in their eyes at this point. And to me, like the parents don't think for a second that what they're doing is wrong because they believe in the righteousness of their cause. Because of course- yeah. It would be a wonderful thing if we were able to see and prove does God exist and what is on the other side of this. So in their eyes, like there's no more of a need to kind of interrogate what they're doing than if dad was like a traffic cop and mom sold real estate. So to me, it felt like the kids would have absolutely been in on not involved with what was going on, but you would have that talk when the kids are of age, like this is why mom and dad are doing what they're doing right now. And the kids would have been indoctrinated in it at a really young age. Yeah, I I can definitely, definitely see that. And it also just like speaks so much to religious extremity in general and how mm-hmm. like the lengths people will go to convince themselves and also how terrified mm-hmm. people are of dying. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting part of this movie is a lot of these people, I think I'm jumping ahead a little. I'm sorry. No, if there's like no, it's very no, We free. jump around. It's free. Okay, cool. We are like crisscross. But it's like, you know, at the end, when you see like the rest of the cult, the cult group, it's all older people. And yeah. it's, it's almost sad because it's like these, yeah. these people are so terrified to die. And these are the links that they're willing to go mm-hmm. to find out like for their own selfish reasons mm-hmm. to know like what happens mm-hmm. when they're about to die and it's just like it just thinking about it makes my heart sink it's just it's mm-hmm. so bone chilling and yeah. something you've like never really thought about and then you're like oh god like where where did you get this idea that's always my thing I'm like where did you even pull this mm-hmm. idea from it's wild but yeah. it's and I think it's like you raise a really good a really good point in that when you look at that last moment, you almost, almost feel for that group of persons um, because you're yes. there looking back and wondering like, what was this all for? Did we live a good, did we live a good life? Did we live a full life? Do we have a purpose in our life? And there's a real sad terror. Like there's quivering lips. There's this kind of like baleful look um, and they are afraid. And that's, it's something that I wrestle with. Like I definitely, as I'm getting older, I definitely play the percentages. Like how much do I have left? Even if I live like a really, yeah, it's creepy. Um, And, you know, what's, and, you know, I wonder like what's next, like what happens after this? Um, Not to the point that Mademoiselle does, like we're not doing that. Um, But, you know, it's definitely, it it definitely occupies like some of my thoughts. Um, So once on a, basically annihilates this whole family. She calls her friend, sorry, once Lucy annihilates this whole family, she calls her friend Anna. So the two girls from the orphanage are now like, it's like it's a decade or 10 or 15 years later, it's, but they're definitely older. Um, it's not a 10 year old with a shotgun, which would be a much 
different. Kind of a cool movie. I would like to see that, but it would play much differently. Um, Anna shows up and she's and even though Lucy tells her, like, I've taken care of it. Um, Anna says, like, I need to go in and see. Like, she needs to see for herself exactly what her friend has done to these people. And despite being horrified at what she finds inside, um, she stands by her friend. And I think that's one of the more wonderful and beautiful parts of this movie is that friendship between Anna and Lucy. And Mary Beth, you had some thoughts on this, like we were talking off air about some stuff you wanted to bring up. But I wonder if now might be a good time to kind of address the relationship between Anna, uh, Anna and Lucy. Yes. So uh, the relationship between Anna and Lucy is one of my favorite things about this movie, because I think there's a really interesting queer reading that can Mm -hmm. be done of their relationship. So I think that the two of them are already very close because it's a really interesting look at like shared, shared trauma. And, you know, they've gone through different traumas, but they kind of both understand each other. They both know what it's like to grow up and have these horrific experiences. And so it's almost like they form a bond from one another due to that and form this like really strong friendship but then it comes as you guys kind of get to get introduced to their dynamic it definitely feels like to me that lucy like anna's kind of following lucy's lead like she's the one following and making sure like you said she's the protector she's the one like to call and come later and it also it feels like anna's just trying to be there as support system and she even tries to kiss lucy at one Mm -hmm. point and it feels like a very interesting little power dynamic there of anna having this love for Lucy that might be more than just a really close friendship. Mm-hmm. So that I think complicates their relationship in a way that I'm really, I'm interested in. And especially as Anna kind of ends up shouldering um, Lucy's burden at the end. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That kiss moment is interesting because it comes at this really odd moment. And I guess I can kind of see it like where you have something so awful in front of you that you need that moment of comfort and you need that moment of kind of warmth or at least reassurance. Um, I read it as that was perhaps the first time Anna had made her intentions known towards Lucy. Um, and perhaps that what had been a friendship when they were at the orphanage together over times, like Anna had kind of nurtured that into a full blown, like she's, I think it's pretty clear she's in love with Lucy. Yeah. Um, by the end. And I think that's especially made clear at the end where she, when it's told like all of all of the people that we've captured, like all of the young women that have been captured by this group, eventually they see something, they hallucinate something. And in most cases, it's something very horrific. Um, in Anna's case, she was able to cling to that love she had for Lucy, where what she hears is her friend trying to comfort her in those really hard moments. Um But at the same point, like Lucy is so damaged by everything that she had to endure in that setting by, and we'll talk about it a little bit, by the person that she couldn't save and how that person still haunts her. Um, And really by not, by even by though, like even Anna doesn't quite believe what Lucy went through. She still can't. And I mean, it's understandable. Like it's such a, bizarre thing how could you um lucy is in no place to have any sort of romantic 
physical relationship with anyone, I would say. I don't know if you agree or disagree. No, I agree. I think that she is... Her singular vision is revenge for what happened Mm. to her. And I think... I don't not taking advantage I, I don't think it's as like dramatic as I sometimes think it is but it just feels like Anna is so enamored with her and Lucy's just like sees her as someone to help her instead of mm-hmm. like as much of a friend but mm-hmm. I think that's like me reading too much into it after seeing it one too many times mm-hmm. um so but that's just how I've how I have read it mm-hmm. recently interesting I you know I didn't quite go that far with it like I could see I saw Lucy being like well look we're not you know, we're not going to have any sort of like romantic relationship, but I did see not Lucy using Anna, but, you know, Lucy seeing Anna is like one thing that potentially like grounds her to the world still mm-hmm. that if she That's- didn't have Anna, like that last mooring to the world would have gone away a long time ago. Oh yeah. That's interesting. I didn't see it that way, but I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what do you think, <laughs> yeah. What yeah, do you think? I don't know. I did kind of read a little bit of like a friendship of utility mm-hmm. um, and kind of like this pining relationship, mm-hmm. um, which I think is sounds a little similar to Mary Beth's reading. But yeah, mm-hmm. I do kind of, I do kind of see that also too, that yeah, there's the utility could also extend to as far as like, you know, you're the thing that kind of keeps me real. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen that explored. I mean- I don't know if you really think of this character as a killer, but we've definitely seen that explored with killers before where they have this like mm-hmm. soft spot that keeps them quote unquote human, which mm-hmm. I do yeah. think is, I do think is a part of that too. Yeah. There's definitely the conversation that Anna has with her mother moments before she discovers like what the house is holding, like what secrets the house is holding. Um, so, and it was uh, maybe her adopted mother, I guess. She's like, oh, you're with this girl. You're with this woman again. And the mother has like not a single kind word to say about Lucy. So, you know, at best you could say that Lucy has been maybe not the best influence on Anna overall, that she's kind of pulled her towards some things, some darkness, or had her embark on some things that maybe weren't in Anna's best interest and maybe have like hindered her and kind of held her back from like becoming fully becoming herself or exploring herself because it does feel very much like Anna acts very much in like a caretaker role. For yes, Lucy. 100%. Mm-hmm. And that was a burden that was put on her in the orphanage, like the doctors there, or I don't know if it was a doctor, but maybe it was just like the program director was like, hey, you need to look after your friend. And you're like, that's a really tall order to put on mm-hmm. like a 10 year old kid. Yes. Um, not he- I mean, nothing about their relationship is healthy it is very much codependency and mm-hmm. like a very interesting look at codependency and trauma and how those become very closely intertwined in these kinds of, like in situations where you don't ha- know how to cope with your trauma mm-hmm. absolutely and to you mary beth where you were saying we have like a queer reading of anna and lucy's character does that you were talking about how when you watch high tension you can kind of pick it apart a bit in part because you have like the crazy lesbian trope where mm-hmm. like, oh, queer persons are gonna, you know, if they're not understood, they're gonna go on a rampage. They're gonna be murderous. Did, does any of that tie into your feelings or thinking on this movie? Or do you see, you know, because like Lucy has been so victimized that that really is where all of her 
murderous intent comes from? That's a good question. Um, I mean, to be fair, I don't think either of these movies have like great queer representation. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like this is, Mar- Mar- Martyrs is better than a crazy lesbian who's like sexual release manifests as a crazy man mm-hmm. killing people throughout a countryside. And this one is just a little bit more like unrequited love. It just, it's still sometimes, it still often feels like queer relationships in these movies in particular. It's like, let's just be like the saddest stuff ever. And like, let's just push mm-hmm. every boundary and like have everyone be upset and also have like two women together and one be in love and one be, it just, it just feels like it's the kind of genre where that's just part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, I have yet to see a good French extremity horror movie that deals with queerness. Mm-hmm in like a good way okay. I think. yeah i mean i'm trying to think even like the latter period ones like raw i think there's some a lot of queer subtext in there and it goes in a very odd direction to say the least when we cover that movie in a few weeks like from raw, i will say yeah raw is a much better like depiction of queerness i'm sorry i was thinking of like the early like these mm-hmm. this kind of era like high tension and 29 palms mm-hmm. and them and stuff like that so mm-hmm. I think with like the more female directed French mm-hmm. extremity, I think queerness has navigated more and mm-hmm. much better. Yeah. I think and I said this in another show I'm a part of, like talking about queerness and really like representing um, marginalized communities in general. I wish we could get to a point where what defines a person isn't 100% their queerness. I think we see that like far too often in movies where like, when you have like a trans character or a queer character, that is the only thing that the writer and the director seems to kind of talk about with them or represent with them. And that if we could get to a point in any of these movies where you have a queer character where they're quirkers, they like work at a coffee shop, run a funny blog and just kind of go about their day-to-day life and they just happen to be queer. If we could normalize that sort of thing in movies, like you would get... I think like a lot better understanding of like queer persons, trans persons and other marginalized persons in general. Does that make sense? Am I kind of like saying Yeah, that? well, I mean like, and also there's been some great examples like Knife um, Plus Heart. It's not mm-hmm. New French Extremity, but Knife Plus Heart is an amazing queer mm-hmm. giallo that like isn't, it's more than just like, oh, they're queer. It's like they're all, mm-hmm. almost all of the characters are trans gay lesbians and Mm -hmm. that's an amazing example of it's like Mm. it's just part of the world and that i think is a great example there's also bit which is a trans Mm -hmm. vampire movie so and again none of this is new french extremity but i think that slowly we're moving away from Mm -hmm. these like very awful tropes of monstrous queerness and Mm -hmm. taking queerness and just having as part of the world rather than like a reason for horror if that makes sense it does so yeah it does excellent okay um anything else on just like the honor and lucy relationship before i like blow right past it i don't think so okay not for me me. yeah okay so um i would say part of like with with this movie too part of the horror comes i would say in how lachey just makes you stick with it like moments where the two women are carrying the mother to the bathroom and you have like a shot where it looks like you as a viewer are just looking down at the body at that point. And it holds it for a long time as the woman's being moved. And it feels like you in part are carrying it and it lingers in a really 
long way. I think that the scenes of cleanup are done mm. in such a way where you're like, you feel like you're really in there and you feel Anna's growing discomfort. Um, and I think one of the turning points in the movie is when the, and one of the things that really like scared the bejesus out of me is when the mom, you, she's not dead. Um, like the, the wound that she's, the gunshot she suffers, like doesn't kill her. And Anna decides, she kind of betrays Lucy in a way in that she tries to help the woman survive. She's like, I'll get you to the edge of the woods and then you're on your own. Although and then when, when Lucy discovers that, it is one of the more, it's a more brutal than the gunshot deaths. Like this is the, she just bludgeons her to death with a hammer at that point. And it's just like a lot of sickening thuds before she's done in. This movie makes me just think a lot about the concept of revenge mm -hmm. and how a lot of new French extremity films center on that idea of revenge. I mean, there is, of course, revenge from 2017. Yes. But a lot of these movies are so interested, like are interesting in looking at like, okay, cool. So you got revenge. So what does that look like? like what does that really mean? Is mm -hmm. it, it's not yeah. going to be this big cathartic satisfying, always going to be some big cathartic satisfying moment where it's like, hell yeah, you got like, you have avenged yourself. Like you have killed your oppressors. And then, then what? Yeah. Like what happens after that you get that right. revenge? And I think that's, one of the most har harrowing parts of the movie is like, okay, so she kills this family, but she keeps seeing the woman. Yeah. Like she's not free. And that is just so, it's like, you think about it and then you just want to turn the movie. <laughs> like, yeah. it, like you did it. And you yeah. did it. And, and there's still 45 minutes of the movie left. Yes. And you're like, fuck. Right. <laughs> what could possibly happen? So. Right. It's, I'm sorry, Lindsay, you were going to jump in there. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I love that that point. Um, you know, with revenge in movies and revenge in real life, exactly that. You know, you kind of think of like revenge is that once you get it, that's when the story ends. And that's why like, I mean, revenge movies kind of land and don't land for people in different ways. But um, yeah, that, that concept isn't really, really explored very much. It's usually that like the revenge is kind of the end. And there's usually this like hero moment of like, oh, I did it, you know, like the smile with blood on their face. Um, I think we, like not a revenge movie, but I saw someone talking about Texas Chainsaw not long ago. And it was like, oh gosh, I can't remember who wrote it. I have to look it up. Mm -hmm. But a really interesting article about kind of like what happens after, you know, she like drives away from in that truck. Like she's still gone through all of that. And like, who is she yeah. now? And um, I kind of think of that with revenge movies as well, kind of like, okay, who is this person now? And so I really do like, and it's so, so grim and it's so bleak, but yes, exactly. Like that revenge is gotten and now what? It didn't work. And then exploring that for another, you know, half of the movie, I think is just, well, like I said, bleak, grim. <laughs> there, are, there are just some things I think persons can't, or would really struggle to recover from. Um, I know that it's something like I explore a lot with persons in counseling who have suffered like severe trauma and we explore it a couple different ways. In some cases, what we look at first is like, how do we just get to function day to day? Like before we can even explore the traumatic events of your life, how do we get it? If you're not ready to kind of tackle that yet, how do we get it so you can just kind of like, 
have an ordinary day, whatever that ordinary day looks like to you as a person. Um, the other part of it sometimes is not being able to forget it, but being able to forgive it, being able to forgive these events, being able to forgive the persons, not forget, but to be able to like move past it. And it can take a very long, a very hard time. And I just had this moment with a client recently where they told me that we had explored something that they had done that had affected them tremendously for years. And I had asked them like, what would it be like if you could move past it and forgive yourself? Like, what do you think your life would look like at that point? How would it be better? And we were going to, and we started to explore that. And recently they said at the end of a, a session, like, Hey, just want to let you know, like I've forgiven myself and these are the steps that I've taken. And this is what I've done. And it was really amazing to like, Holy shit. Have them talk and like, and this is how I have felt ever since I've been able to do that. Um, which was great. It was like one of those things that was really, and I'm really proud of that person. Um, with Lucy, she was never going to be able to stop seeing the woman in the basement that she left behind unless she could have forgiven herself for leaving her behind in the first place. That at the end of the day, what affected Lucy the most wasn't the physical, psychological, and emotional trauma that her captors had put her through. It's that when she managed to escape, she knew that there was one person she was leaving behind. And that part, because what she sees is not, she doesn't see her captors. She didn't even remember what they looked like until a photo in the newspaper triggered that memory. What she was haunted by was like the physical manifestation of this woman that she left behind. And the really sad thing about that is Lucy was a 10 year old girl that had no power to really help this woman. And you, she, nobody would blame her. Like a sing, not a single person I know would blame her for leaving her behind, but because she couldn't forgive herself, she was going to be forever haunted by her. Yeah. I mean, it's an exploration of survivor's guilt, certainly. Um, you know, and the, I guess the assumption is like the revenge isn't going to um, change her survivor's guilt. And, you know, she's not going to see it. I think about how many more lives you save. Like that's not mm -hmm. the, that's not the world that she lives in. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, you've talked about it here, but like, yeah, we hear about survivor's guilt and abuse situations all the time. Mm -hmm. And after horrible events comparable to, I wouldn't necessarily say comparable, but yeah, I think that, uh, that's kind of what that manifests as and the revenge is certainly not therapeutic in that yeah, way. <laughs> it isn't. Hey listeners, Mike here. I just want to cut into the show with what I promise will be a brief pitch for our Patreon account. And I got musical cues and everything to not run past. If you love what we do and what we bring each week in terms of analysis, humor, criticism, insight, charm, good looks, really the complete package. We hope you consider supporting us by becoming a Patreon of our pod. Your contributions allow us to build what we've done for nearly 100 episodes now by paying for our server's hosts, by purchasing better recording and editing equipment, and by giving us the funds we need to buy the movies, the books, the documentaries, and other research materials we use to bring each episode to life. Our weekly show 
is always going to be free. And we know that times are tight for everyone right now. We also know there's a number of phenomenal podcasts deserving of your support. That's why, as well as our gratitude, we offer bonus content to all levels of patrons, starting at just two bucks. Every month, we deliver a complete bonus episode on a movie we might not otherwise cover, and all of our patrons get access to our exclusive Slack channel where we talk horror, music, any other types of movies. Really, it's a cool little community with our patrons right now that are all just awesome people. With 2021 right around the corner, I got some more ideas up my sleeve on how to give everybody some more content and some more swag. So please help keep the show strong by heading to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum and become a supporter today. And now back to the show. Sorry, my cat was hitting my doorstop and was making it make sounds and I was trying to get him out of the background. <laughs> Don't <awesome>. worry. Yeah. <laughs> my Lindsay. my dog is a regular. Uh, yeah. Lindsay yeah, has dogs right. that join us regularly and my <laughs> rabbit will chew her. Um, my rabbit will chew like a cardboard box in the background. So oh. it's we're a very pet friendly podcast. It's so, yes. we're, we're all trying it, our best. Yeah. They have to just discover the thing on the back of the door that makes noise. And so both mm-hmm. cats have decided that it's fun to hit yep. it when we're not yep. paying attention to them. So excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Our cat was playing Mixtape Massacre with us earlier tonight. He was like sitting on the floor with us. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry. So that's, that's totally fine. Um, I think the other really hard thing with Lucy too, and I think like what eventually drives her to kill herself is nobody believes her. At the end of the day, like in even Anna, and I think when, when Lucy sees Anna trying to help this woman, her feeling is like, after everything I've told you, that's kind of happened to me here, you're still not going to believe me. And that's a really hard thing. It's really hard, especially like, you know, when you are a trauma survivor, you feel like that sometimes. Like you Mm -hmm. do feel that kind of like no one believes me or like no one's listening or no one's going to be able to really understand. And like he he taps, like Marjorie taps into that, taps into that feeling in a very extreme way, but still taps into it in a very poignant way that just kind of hits you worse than any other mm-hmm. like act of gore or violence it's like no. like we're talking about the act behind the violence is much more heartbreaking than actually watching it happen mm-hmm. like the act happen itself no yeah and i think in part too like because you, you at the beginning of the movie you see the after effects of the trauma um and this is something that like author like alexandra west from faculty horror of horror talks about in her book, like how Martyrs is a movie about trauma in reverse, where Mm -hmm. the beginning of the movie is basically the after effects of the trauma. The middle of the movie is like her living, reliving that trauma. And then the end of the movie is the actual um, trauma itself. So you're kind of getting everything played out in reverse. And what really, Mm -hmm. one of the things like when I rewatched this, and I remember the first time I watched this movie, I was definitely someone that was like, I never want to watch this again. It is 40 minutes of watching a woman get punched in the face for no reason whatsoever. Like I get why people like it, um, but it's definitely not for me. Hard pass. Um, 
And then 10 years later, I'm like, let's do a fucking podcast about it where we're going <laughs> to talk about it for a while. Um, but what hit me on the rewatch was because the audience knows what Lucy's already been through and because Anna has seen what Lucy has been through and what the woman she helps out has been through, that makes the ordeal that she's about to go through that much more horrible because she knows what she's in for. Like, is it, is it, is it, is it worse? Like, is it worse that she knows? Like, is it, is it? Yeah. Right. Like I would rather just go and not expecting it. Just like, Mm -hmm. fuck me up. I don't want to (laughs) know. Yeah. It's harder to disassociate when you've got like a list of Mm -hmm. like what's, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, she's got like a mental list of what's coming. That's not going to be. Not going to be pleasant. Oh, I just had like it's just a flood of thoughts about when they find the woman in the basement. Sorry, it just start. Start. Yeah. It's just that I okay. So they find a woman in the basement who is chained down to the mm-hmm. floor, and she is wearing a a like a band around her, like mm-hmm. a big metal band around her face. And then she's also wearing was it's metal underwear, it's like a right? Metal chastity belt is what it. Metal looks chastity like, belt. Right? Yeah. Yes, chastity belt, and she's like in the pet in the pitch black, mm-hmm. and just in seeing what she looks like down in the basement and then what Anna goes through, how many fucking ways of torture did they figure out for these women? Mm -hmm. Isn't that fucked up? Like, I just could not stop thinking about that recently. I just like, holy shit. Like, did they have a book that they just flipped through to pick things out? And like, Mm -hmm. they're like, okay, cool. Like cover her head in metal. Like what? I don't know. It just got into my head about how, like if this society is as big as it sounds like, there are a lot of really horrible things happening yeah. to people. It's just- it kind of like adds an element of like they're crafty, which kind of makes you question the motivation in a weird way. Does that make any sense? Like not that like their motivations are pure, but like they think they're pure. Like Mike said, mm-hmm. like they think that what they're doing is with purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, at what level does that shift when you've got someone being like crafty and drawing up jigsaw puzzles for people? Um yeah it's one of those things too where you you, to your point like you know that they are trying different ways to get the women to achieve the martyrdom they're looking for so i think in the what i had read in the case of the woman who has like the metal band like basically nailed stapled or nailed right into her head um, is that what they're trying to do is by by limiting her actual vision, they're trying to get like her inner eye to start getting to that place where she could achieve these visions. Like they're trying to manipulate it along the way to, and that makes it all the more horrific. Um, when you it's see- It's so purposeful. Yeah. It's just so meticulous. And like mm-hmm. everything is done with so much care and yeah. they have like that, and like their basement, they have, everything is like perfectly set up. It's mm-hmm. just so sterile and yeah. I guess that meticulous. So it's just even, that's even more just kind of gross to me. Sterile's a great word. Uh, and it's what hit me too, like when I was rewatching this, when the crew shows up and what's really fucked about this movie is how like the first <laughs> hour of it is, you know, I don't want to say a traditional horror movie because I think Leger takes enough, like he subverts things enough where you genuinely don't know where he's going to head with it. Um, but that first hour is like in and of itself, like a pretty great horror movie, like full stop for the first hour. Of yes. It. One of the things that really hit me is when that crew shows up and they're kind of looking at the aftermath 
just how clinical they are in disposing of everything. Um, the bodies are just kicked into these unmarked ditches. This is unmarked grave, basically, that had already been dug. Um, and I had like very specific like Holocaust imagery and imagery of like the Armenian genocide, genocide where you just have, and as like an Armenian myself, it's like something I've just been done, done more reading on and more studying of like the, the, the atrocities my own persons have gone through. Um, the idea that these, they were just completely dehumanized and just kicked into these unmarked graves and then not a single thought was given to them. Um, and these were persons they worked alongside. These are persons that were part of their cause. And because they had basically outlived their usefulness, they were just stripped of anything human about them in that moment. And that was, to me, one of the scariest parts of the movie. I like, That's so terrible because I was just like, oh, yeah, like they just outlived it. And that like they never mm -hmm. gave a shit about these. Mm -hmm. Like who cares? It's like the people that it's so funny. It's this weird tension because it's like they want to know what happens after death and they want to stay alive until they know. Mm -hmm but they're very quick to just kill and disregard life. So it's yeah. such a self-centered mm -hmm. goal that yeah. is just very fascinating. Yeah. yeah I also, how do you, how do you recruit? How, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. How do you recruit for this? <laughs> That's a good question. Like, how do you get involved? I just, I, I always like what think about that. Like, how do they just get this like regular family to just become part of their weird mm -hmm. death cult? I mean, I imagine if you would start with like religious fanatics, which in this country, at least, there's like no shortage of them here. Um, so I think that you could True. easily, right. And I think you could like tap into that part of the psyche that believes that anything that you render unto God is good and just. And that the, at the end of the day, and also they, this group, despite everything they put Anna through, they hold her in some reverence at the end. Like when she's able to achieve that ascension, they speak about her in these very hushed and reverent tones. Like what they've done is this great thing. Um, and I know at the end, the end title of the movie, um, Leger puts like the, uh, when we think of the term martyr, we usually think it, of it as somebody that has been killed for their beliefs or killed for like a greater cause, which is you know what we associate, I would have first associate like the title of this movie with. I think the card that he puts up there says like someone who is born witness at that point. So they feel like Anna has like born witness to something that is potentially greater than themselves. So they hold her in this very high regard. And I think what they, they probably feel in some way what they're doing is rewarding these, per these women. Um, that they're torturing. Um, because I kind of read the like, oh, sorry, mm -hmm. finish your thought. No, no, I'm done. I was saying, I kind of read the like plural martyrs to speak for like all the women that died before her. Mm -hmm. um, and that yeah. she's more the like, I don't want to say Messiah, but she's almost like the, she's something different. She's mm -hmm. like, yes, she, what she went through makes her a martyr because I don't think and i'm not an expert but i don't think that like the definition of martyr necessarily means that you died so much as that you suffered but i could be okay. totally wrong about that mm -hmm. um but yeah i kind of read the like plural which is what makes it like makes even just like the title kind of make you feel sick mm -hmm. is the idea that there are like multiple people that were suffering for some phantom yeah. cause well what's so interesting is like martyr you think that 
it's again like it's someone who does has consented to do it to themselves mm-hmm. and here it's like the anti-martyr if you think about mm-hmm. it it's like yeah it's sacrificial so do they, i don't know that's just it's an interesting true. way to like it's not yeah. the same thing as martyrdom mm-hmm. yeah, that's so. very true yeah uh, because so. these these are women that are being pulled into something very much against their will like there's no mm-hmm. their consent is stripped away from them this is nothing they've signed on for you know, it would be a much different movie if it was Anna saying, I agree with your cause and we're going to throw like safe words out the window, like do with me what you will at that point and gives herself over freely to these persons. Like that's not what obviously is not what's going on here. Yeah, like none of the members are volunteering for uh, no. participation. No, Mademoiselle, yeah. like if Mademoiselle was so interested. Yeah. And she could have volunteered. You're right. She could have volunteered herself to go through this process. Yeah. But that's not what she's doing. So there's got to be a part of her, no matter how small, that knows what she's doing is bullshit. Yeah. Or that she doesn't want to. Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. not even necessarily that it's bullshit, but knowing that like this is endless suffering. So it's Mm -hmm. not a great reward for those who ascend, Mm -hmm. who ascend. Like, I know that this sucks and this is a punishment for it's like. I don't know. I'm very, it's not, this isn't exactly an exploration of immortality, but I'm always mm-hmm. really intrigued by explorations of like immortality as a vice mm-hmm. in films. Mm-hmm. Like I think we kind of talked about it when we talked about Prometheus about this like chase for a, it was also, it was for knowledge, but it was also really for like this potential for immortality. Like I want to mm-hmm. live forever. I want to meet my maker before I die. And I want to, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how that plays off and self-sacrifice is often seen right. as a virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, yeah, this isn't necessarily immortality per se, but we're talking about a vice and it's, it's, it's selfish. It's not someone willing to take some sort of risk um, to their own detriment in order to understand or achieve immortality. It's about mm-hmm. taking it from someone else. Yeah. And I think that's a yeah. really common portrayal. Absolutely. And I would agree with that. And you're right. It's, it's just like in Prometheus, the persons that are trying to do this and, and that are basically putting everyone else in harm's way are those that have feel like they're owed and i think in part of it like when you look at this group there it's a hierarchy in this group like you have like this really vast amount of wealth i think you see them pull up and they're all in these luxury vehicles they're obviously very wealthy and this wealth kind of informs their sense of like self-importance and the sense of t- entitlement that because that they're at this elevated position in life, they feel like, well, why wouldn't that carry over in death? Like if I have this great wealth and importance while I'm here on this earth, I don't want that to expire at some set moment in time. Like I want that to be able to carry over for all eternity. And I think that there is a definite amount of arrogance that goes along with what they're exploring. Yeah. Like we're talking about, you know, like what Mary Beth said, very, aptly like the how do you recruit these people right Mm -hmm. and it seems impossible but then it's like man you got televangelists telling people to buy Mm -hmm. their way to heaven like it doesn't seem so impossible um obviously it's a different form of evil but like yeah it seems like very easy that they're very believable that there are people of power and wealth that believe that that can carry Mm -hmm. that's something they can bring with them yeah i mean people are malleable i mean you look at what's going on in the country right now you look at the amount of persons that believe in conspiracy theories you look at you know i don't want to make this too political i know we always get <laughs> an, a one-star review and i go get a little political but it's hard it's political by nature um you you know when you look at the tens of millions of people that will like 
defend Donald Trump to literally the death. And part of me is like, that's very scary. And part of me is like, this guy, like, really, of all the people that you and him, you know, it's, it's weird. It's really, but you, you don't need to find a lot of people to believe in a cause like this. You just need enough. You just need True. enough really to make it worth your while. What I think is interesting about martyrs is the way it really contrasts the way that religion is portrayed compared to a lot of horror movies. And I think mm-hmm. with horror, we think it's really transgressive and outside the norm but in a lot of ways, like religion acts as a stabilizing force against evil in horror movies. You look at titles like The Exorcist, you look at The Omen, um, you look at modern movies like The Last Exorcism, um, which is one of my favorite movies and I really can't wait. Oh, to- I love The Last Exorcism. Love that so much. I could listen to Patrick Fabian give his banana bread recipe for like hours. <laughs> Just give me, give me that for days. Um, But the message of most horror movies is like true evil does exist in this world. And oftentimes it's a faith and like a power that is much greater than ourselves that helps defeat it. What you have here is the exact opposite of that. This fanaticism that lives in Mademoiselle Mademoiselle and her followers because they feel like they're owed an answer. Is there a God? And this arrogance is really what creates victims and Lucy and Anna that are like pulled into this completely against their will. And I think you can see how, you know, religion being used as this really like force of evil at that point to me uh, is kind of how I see that reading of it. I feel differently only in that I think that there's um, an indiscernible line between, you know, religion and cultism. Okay. And I think, yeah, like I love religious horror. Like I'm, I love it. I love exorcism nonsense. Um, well, I shouldn't call it nonsense. I love it. I didn't, I was, that was a weird self-deprecating way to Mm -hmm. describe it, but I love that kind of stuff. And I think there's, you know, a difference between something like, you know, um, uh, the conjuring where they're using, um, you know, certain religious elements to, to tackle demons. And you are talking about kind of good versus evil, but we've also got a lot of movies with like, the cult of thorn and mm-hmm. the cult at the end of the black christmas uh, 2019 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you know you've got a lot of these like cult um religions i mean just think about think of like a black cloak over someone's head in a horror mm-hmm. movie and it's probably got some sort of religious um element where it's like an evil cult i mean of course the obvious one is everyone you know goes to satanism and things like that but yeah i think that there's kind of this inverse between like what necessarily is the cult what necessarily is religious so mm-hmm. while it is definitely different than something like the omen or the exorcist about this religion as the as an evil fighting entity sometimes these religions can manifest in evil ways mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i agree that's how i interpreted it i, I interpret this more about cult belief than mm-hmm. religion i guess but i also see like and it's weird because they are talking about kind of god and the afterlife but i guess they just saw this as so like I said, like I said, for sterile, that it just felt like much a much more efficient kind of we're looking for this answer. It's not necessarily related to like a greater religious belief. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe because I'm making like the association of martyrdom with like the Catholic or the Christian yeah. concept of martyrdom that to me, that's why I'm pushing it more towards like the religious angle where they're trying to make martyrs. Uh, but no, I think that what that's pretty valid that what you really do see are the underpinnings more 
of a cult maybe with like some religious overtones to it. I just didn't see that. Okay. I mean, I'm really excited to talk about one of my three things that we're, I'm watching now because I feel like it's okay. going to be more relevant to this discussion. <laughs> I'm like Absolutely. saving it for later, but I'm like, oh, it's more relevant to this discussion than I expected. <laughs> save it. Save it for the patrons because see, yeah. the, the, no. the, the plebs don't get it on the free feed. Sorry. <laughs> You're not. We love you, listeners. We Give love you, listeners. Yes, please do. Um, I, I, yeah. So, okay. I do love a one star review we got from my other show where it's like, he's not a psychoanalysis. I'm like, no, like Freud's dead, dude. Like, no one does that anymore. So, like, people don't do Freud stuff anymore. It's weird. He's dead, dude, is very funny. So, um, dead. Sorry. Okay. All right. So, let's talk about, I think I've put off, I've, I've really put it off because, like, what, where martyrs, transcends other movies of this genre is that back half of that movie i paused it and i'm like holy shit we're 55 minutes in there's another 45 minutes of this movie i need to go take a break and like have a snack because it is the last 45 minutes of this movie is such a hard watch it is quite literally 45 minutes of a woman getting punched in the face repeatedly and it doesn't shy away from that in any way Mm -hmm. shape or form nope it's not quick cuts Mm -hmm. it's not like just like a quick montage she is Mm -hmm. just getting absolutely torn to shreds yes and they take their time Mm -hmm. with showing that they sure do which either which either holds you or loses you you know Mm -hmm. it's yeah yeah well, I feel like after you see the part in the beginning where it's like Lucy sees the woman, I feel like if like after Lucy suicide, it's like you're either done, like you're either in or you're mm-hmm. out. Like I feel like that's the the turning point where you're like, okay, what is mm-hmm. going on here? So, it's it's tough, and I think like in my opinion, the reason why I don't think martyrs belongs with getting lumped into like the torture porn category is because. The violence is is never shown for titillation. It's never shown to be entertaining. It's meant to be a difficult experience for the viewer. You're not meant to enjoy this. You're not like this isn't like um I'm trying like this is like not like Friday the thirteenth when like Mark gets a machete through the forehead and then goes barreling down the stairs. You're like, holy cool. Holy shit. That was so cool. And everyone's like high-fiving one another. This is like just absolutely brutal from start to finish. Um, Like you feel dirty. You feel like you needed to take a shower. Like you watched a snuff film and that like you have to like take a walk and like tell, like confess Mm -hmm. (laughs) or something. I know. You feel culpable weirdly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you're a part of it. It's Mm -hmm. like kind of this like voyeuristic experience where you almost feel yeah. like you participated. There's a lot of French extremity movies like that, that are like even more like lo-fi that play mm-hmm. with that a lot that are really fucked up and they're yeah. really, really hard to watch because they they feel almost like found footage and it's just yeah. like, it feels illegal. I'm <laughs> like thinking it like, feels like one of those. the mm-hmm. last 20 minutes of Frontiers where it looks like your lead character is basically having a seizure as she moves from like scene to scene like it's another really hard watch like that to me like frontiers is probably the closest out of the movies i've seen to like coming to like the power of this movie overall in terms of like what your lead goes through yeah um 
Watch Fat Girl. What is what is it called? Fat Girl. Fat Girl. It's not what? the same. It's not. It's it's New French Extremity, but not in a gory way. Okay. Just like in a very intense way. I've never even heard of it, so I'm definitely writing that one down and circling it, and I will. Okay. Yeah, Catherine Briat is a French director who does a lot of new French extremity stuff, but her extremism comes from sex, mm-hmm. portrayals of sex rather than gore. Mm-hmm. So she's a really good director, but her shit is her her shit is very very intense and just Excellent. very graphic. But I enjoy I like Fat Girl. I, it's one of those movies where you feel bad saying you like it because there's nothing mm-hmm. redeeming and like happy about it. Mm-hmm. But I I am glad I watched it. Okay. Yeah, I will add that. I will add that to the list. I know that. I know Base Ma is another one that deals. And I'm so I haven't I haven't been able to find that one. So I will definitely I, try to I wrote my master's thesis on rape revenge films in New French mm-hmm. Extremity. And so I did a lot of I watched Bazemwa. It's mm-hmm. weird. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think I don't I don't know how I found it. I don't know what it was a bad quality wherever mm-hmm. I found it. Okay. But it's 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 porn. It's basically pornography. Okay. Okay. So that's another one I haven't caught, but you're saying it doesn't, would you say that it falls kind of within this like umbrella? Yeah. Or? Okay. It definitely does. Cause it's like, it very much revels in the acts mm-hmm. of sex in like a really yeah. interesting way. That's like directed by the female gaze instead of the male okay. gaze. So yeah, it, it's really, really cool. Um, right. So yeah, I would recommend yeah. it. And I know this predates it, but I just like did a rewatch of Man Bites Dog over the weekend. I um, have not seen that yet. I have great. not seen that. It's I great. Know. Yeah. It has like a lot of the power that I would say like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer mm-hmm. has. Um, like it's pretty fantastic. So, um, all right. Not to digress too much. My <laughs> apology. Um, I was going to say like one of the things like you're talking about how you feel complicit, Lindsay. Part of it is like, I think how it's shot. To me, it has a lot of like over the shoulder point of view from the, you often are peering just slightly down at Anna from an angle, um, especially when it's the male captor that comes in or when she's being fed, like you, it almost the way it's shot, like you feel like you are spoon feeding her this gruel. You're watching her spit it out. And you're the one like delivering the slaps to her, like when they kind of beat her. Um, and I'd like a lot of movies like this, like when you watch Hostel, it's all about like revealing the magic trick and like showing like, look how far we can push it. That's not the case here. Here it's much more, even when Anna at the end, when she's like, when her skin is, when she's flayed alive, basically. You don't show any of that. You never see a piece of skin being peeled off of her. It's just really tight on her face. And she's in so much pain and so far gone that she can't even scream. She can only just like open her mouth and like silently yell. And that is just heartbreaking every time. Yes. Um, I think good times. Everybody having fun. (laughs) Yes, correct. yeah, I think the, the other thing with this is like, there is never a moment in the last act of this movie where escape is an option. Like, no. You know, I think in the, when I talk about the American one, like this will enter the equation a little bit. But from the minute that she's captured, you never think like, oh, she's going to make a, dare, a bold, daring move to get out right now. It's like, nope, 
she's completely fucked. Nobody knows where she is. And this is her life now. Um, yep. Like there is not a whisper of hope. Like you mm-hmm. said, like you're not even like, oh, cool. We're going to watch her mm-hmm. get free. We're like, no, we're just going to watch her get tortured. Like there's just, no. this mm-hmm. is not, this is not going to end the way that everyone would like it to. No, no. And it's a very non-American movie, I think in that regard, which we'll get to in a little, a little bit yes. here. Um, the other thing is how the two captors never address her in any way that's what struck me on this rewatch is they never once address her they never talk to her the only one moment at the end where the woman after she sees that like there's no more fight left in anna that she offers her like that brief moment of comfort that oh your suffering will be over soon um but throughout that whole 40 minute ordeal they don't haunt her there's never that James Bond villain moment where they're like, this is why we're doing this. And this is what you can expect. It's just methodical, slow, deliberate torture. And the fact that they, when they're like cutting her hair, they're just pulling her hair from like side to side. It's just so dehumanizing. I think that's one of the things that really, really hurts with watching this movie. Yeah, so that's actually, so I think about that a lot with the kind of the way that violence is used in American torture mm-hmm. porn and in New French extremity, like the way violence is used here, there. And like, I guess I have so many thoughts and feelings about it because it is like so different. And it is, like you said, it's just like, it, there's nothing that is like, oh, there's an entertaining factor. It's literally you just watching someone get torn apart. There mm-hmm. is no idea of, idea of like entertainment or like look we're gonna like you said pull the curtain back and like Mm -hmm. look it's just a bunch of nasty effects here it's like you've got to really think about the consequences of Mm -hmm. these actions and it it's a lot to do with like that kind of fear um and especially with these like you know slashers there's always like this long story build up like this is the lore of the killer and like this Mm -hmm. is the history of the camp but martyrs and also lots of other new french extremity that you're just plopped into the middle of people's lives like everyday people's lives and you don't know you don't know anything about them, but then you're just there and you're, they don't, they're just normal people. They're not no. special. And you just get kind of thrown into mm-hmm. absolutely random acts of violence that feel like they could happen to you. Like yeah. these movies are so extreme, but not so much to the point that it could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. They're still like more grounded in reality than something like Freddy Krueger. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like the absolute worst in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, there are, you almost always come across situations where like we see the evil things that we're capable of doing to other people and like very much can give into our worst instincts over, give into our worst instincts and see some like horrific, like ripped from the headlines things. And I think what, you know, one of the uh, pieces I was reading on this movie, which let me just the journal, okay, so from an article from the Journal of Popular Film and Television, uh, it was called The French Horror Film Martyrs and the Destruction, Defilement, and Neutering of the Female Form by Amy Green. She published this back in 2011. She talks about how when Anna is rolled out at the end after she's been laid, she's covered in this like dirty white robe, almost like a bride being wheeled down to the altar and this real kind of defilement of that image of like the happy bride being given away like Anna's been kind of stripped not really of just her womanhood but really of her personhood that like Mm -hmm. her 
aside from her face, like every bit of skin has been torn off for her and she's no longer seen as human, but as this kind of like blunt object to kind of achieve the means that these parts, the, the, the goal of this, of this group. And that was a striking image. Oh, yes. Sorry, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so here's my, my question, folks. At the end of this movie, what do we feel it is that Anna whispers to Mademoiselle that mm. gets Mademoiselle to, you think that Mademoiselle is one and she ends up killing herself, saying, keep doubting, and then blows the back of her head off. What do we think it is that Anna whispers to her in that kind of long extended sequence? And I think it's going to be a personal answer for everybody. So I kind of like have this fantasy that it was like one last giant fuck you. Like Mm -hmm. she came up with something Mm -hmm. like not so much as she like ascended, but she was like, you know what? I'm going to fuck your shit up right now and tell Mm -hmm. you Um, and messed with her. But I don't know. That's just kind of what I assumed, but I don't know. I assumed that she just said that there's nothing and it was her just saying over and over again, like there's nothing after this. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely mm-hmm. nothing like there, you have been wasting your time and killing people for no reason. So my mm-hmm. assumption was that she just says there's nothing after death. There, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing waiting for you. I go back and forth. I sometimes lean on that ending where like, yep, this is it. That's the end after this. Like you just die and you're asleep. Um, the other thing, and I don't know why this hit me, but there is a, a, a quote in scripture. It's from Matthew 19, 24. And it's Jesus telling his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the reason I come to that quote is, I think about who these persons were and they are obviously, they have the means to construct this whole secret society. They have this ability to stay hidden from persons for decades now. They're people of tremendous wealth. And if you are someone that believes in an afterlife in a Christian afterlife, and again, maybe I'm reading this more from a Judeo-Christian point of view. If you're someone that believes in that, then there is a hell. And if there is a hell, someone like Mademoiselle is certainly going to be at the front of the line to go there. And that this realization that, oh my goodness, like this thing I thought would be for good is actually going to be what condemns me is what drives her to her own act of suicide at the end. And I think that gives Anna her kind of like ultimate victory. Because like you said, Mary Beth, like at the end, this is a little bit, like it's a triumphant ending for Anna at the end. Like she is able to overcome all of this torture and go to a different place. I mean, I think it's like any one of those things where the creator makes a point of not telling us what she said. If there was Mm -hmm. an answer to it, Mm -hmm. we would have it. You know, what was in the Pulp Fiction briefcase and Mm -hmm. what did they say (laughs) at the end of Lost in Translation? Mm -hmm. We have no idea. And so I think like, that's kind of the fun is like, yeah. that's what the movie's asking us to do is interpret it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think they're, yeah, I, my yeah. like one last thing to mess with her thought isn't so much that she like came up with something that would drive her mad. It's much more like, I think mm-hmm. what Mary Beth said, like nothing, this was for no reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your point also, like, it's a very interesting possibility. Well, and something I thought I think about a lot with this movie is 
okay, they can only get one person to ascend. So like, what does that mean for everybody else? Mm -hmm. Like, will everybody be able to achieve this level of martyrdom Mm -hmm. or like, it doesn't, the plan does not feel thought through in that regard. Like, okay, you're torturing these people to get to a certain state. And it seems that, and Anna is the first one to achieve that state. And Mm -hmm. that's how I read it at least that she is the first one to do that. (laughs) And then like, what does that what does that mean for the, for the rest of the human race? I just feel mm-hmm. they didn't learn they don't learn some kind of universal truth in my head, and it no. seems like all for, all for naught. Yeah, um, desperate rich white people trying to defeat death. Playing on, yeah. There you go, the movie, excellent. Um, <laughs> and I think like Anna's ultimate victory is be, this without Mademoiselle, it feels like the society is going to fall apart. That like she was kind of the glue that was kind of holding it together at that yeah. point that like they were all kind of turning to her for some guidance there at the end. Um, my last thought on that is I thought that it was like Anna's compassion that she shows throughout the movie was the reason why she was able to ascend. If, the, if she does ascend, it's the reason why she was able to, because you see it like from like a, as a young girl, she was able to show tremendous compassion to Lucy when Lucy was really struggling. And then the moments where, she finds that captive in the basement and rather than be horrified by her, which I think would be a very natural reaction. She actually like bathes her. She dresses her wounds. She offers her comfort. Um, I think like Anna's compassion is what really shines through throughout this movie. Yeah. She's the only character that just any sort of empathy or understanding for the suffering of others. It's just a movie about inflicting suffering on other people from getting revenge or Mm -hmm. like heading to a goal. And she's the only person that shows any Mm -hmm. ounce of, like you said, compassion or empathy towards those who are injured. And that it also is a little bit depressing to me because it feels like empathy is like the the bare minimum in a way, you know what I mean? Like there, it's just so difficult to find that kind of empathy that this Mm -hmm. kind of state is just impossible to achieve because we've kind of lost our ability to really know what it is like to care for others. Agreed. Is that too dark? No, I I agree. (laughs) I think that one of the things, you know, and this is not an original thought, but like we hear about the echo chamber all the time. That, like mm-hmm. we very much and I am guilty of this like I insulate myself around points of view sometimes that like really just like back up my own and there are times where I feel like I'm ultimately in the right um, and I can't find another point of view or you know I think in my job I have to do this where um, I try to look at what someone might be going through and how can I help them and how can I understand them but outside of that, sometimes it can be something I might struggle with. So I can definitely, I understand that. I see where you're coming from with that. Mm-hmm. And it's martyrs, man. I don't think you can go too dark. I really think that's that true. You know, it's pretty impossible. Um, I'll talk very briefly about the American remake um, because it doesn't really warrant more than like a two minute discussion. Um, cool. The changes in it really strip it of its power. For one, it runs about like 10 to 12 minutes shorter. And while I'm usually like under 90 minutes, sign me up as an extra half star. Um, The problem is like, it doesn't linger in any of the violence like the original does. And the problem with that is like, it's such a rush to get through it. Like something bad happens, boom, punch in the face, boom, torture, boom. It's like, 
what they're doing is they're hitting like check boxes like oh this is what martyrs is about mm. check 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 and it doesn't let the audience like sit with any feelings of discomfort it's in such a rush so you can't really process anything at all and you really don't get to interrogate like violence without the restraints of consequence at all so that's number one it's just like it's it's more interested in being a traditional torture porn movie like look at all the cool violent shit that's happening right now um lucy doesn't kill herself she and anna and the woman that anna rescues um they're recaptured by the zealots and they see Lucy is the person that's tortured throughout the whole movie. So she's tortured as a young girl. She's recaptured. She's tortured again. Anna is made to kind of bear witness to it. And then Anna is discarded. The prisoner that they find, like she's not this emaciated woman. She actually looks relatively well-fed and well-kept. Like she doesn't look nearly as dehumanized overall. They think that might be too grotesque to show in this movie. Anna gets the woman they rescue to go find the police. So the police show up at the very, very end. They're too late, but it's like, oh, the cops are here now. Um, Anna like kind of returns as this avenging angel. And she like starts taking out the zealots one by one. Lucy whispers what um, she has seen in the afterlife to Anna. And I think Anna is like mortally wounded and the two women ascend together. So that's the American remake. And I can see the face you're making, Mary Beth. And yeah, I was going to say, you can't see my face, but the face is one of yeah, just very of disgust and anger. Two, two thumbs down. So it's just one that's of those. That's not even the same movie. Like, what's the no. point of, like, what is even the point of doing these remakes if you're just going to water them? It's like the mm-hmm. same thing with Old Boy. I have yeah. not seen that Old Boy and I refuse mm-hmm. to see that Old Boy because what's the point of the movie? Like, yeah, it's extreme violence, but that's the point of the mm-hmm. movie. It's supposed yeah. to be extreme. It's not supposed to make you comfortable. These movies mm-hmm. are about making you feel dirty and gross, and yeah. they want to make you think. It's not about making something that's easy to digest and like a fun watch. No one you- watches this shit if they want to have fun, mm-hmm. or a traditional sense of fun, at least. So do you think it might be in part like why our culture might go to like cinema versus others? Like, I feel like in America, like we mostly go to the movies for if as a form of entertainment. Like, you know, look, there's art house cinema. There are persons that critique cinema. There are people that look for deeper meanings. I would say that that's like a pretty small subset. And I think maybe getting back into like the echo chamber, like without our own little bubble, like we like to interrogate and dive deep into these movies. There's a reason why this show gets, you know, a few thousand downloads for a month versus like a million downloads a month because like for the most part that's not why people go to the movies they want like shit to blow up and they want to have a really fun time um where and like they just don't want to have to sit with uncomfortable feelings whereas like other cultures might say cinemas and an art that can really kind of shine a light on human suffering or give us a deeper understanding of our uh, ego and our motivations or am i just blowing smoke up my own ass right now you know so what would, you mean by yeah go for oh, it you go sorry. i was gonna say i don't think it's blowing smoke up your own ass but i also feel like we're not because we're not in france we don't know what the popular movies are there like we're just mm-hmm. hearing about the specific art house horror thing because we are in the horror community so like i feel like 
their art house it's you can look at a different art house like different cultures art house cinema mm-hmm. and see how they're interrogating a lot but i feel like popular cinema mm-hmm. they're also it's, it's more similar i don't think you can look at like what our box office numbers are like the most popular movies and like necessarily draw i, I guess maybe i'm wrong there. I think what I mean by that, not necessarily like box office draw, but like there's a reason why this, like there's a place for this kind of movie in other cultures. Like, look, we're not going to mm, okay. pull in like, we're not going to pull in like Bumblebee numbers, but we think this is an important movie that needs to be made. And there's a place for it for people where when you look at it here, it's like, why would you want to make a movie about a woman getting punched in the face for 45 minutes? Like, that's weird, man. Well, and it's an interesting way that I think that everyone was processing nihilism um, in mm-hmm. post like post 9-11 horror landscape, mm-hmm. which is something like I'm obsessed with reading about. But I feel like in the US, a lot of our horror was nihilistic, but at the same time, very much like, but there's always going to be a win. Like there's going to be a good guy. Like mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about all that violence. And then in places like France that were experiencing, you know, the effects of 9-11 in France, but also there was a lot of like, re- like riots going on um, between like racial boundaries and religion. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, their perspective on the world was much more openly nihilistic and less hopeful. And I think that we were trying to kind of put on a face while in other cultures and those they dealing with those times, they don't necessarily want to sugarcoat it as much mm-hmm. as I think that we did. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. Okay. Is there, before we move on, is there anything that I'm missing? Anything that we didn't bring up that you wanted to discuss? Uh, Mademoiselle, I just want to give a shout out to Mademoiselle's eyebrows and turban. Oh, listen. Eyebrows are all I care about all the time, okay? Like, nothing has made me more ecstatic. Nothing that anyone has ever said on this pod has made me happier than the fact that you just brought up eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ecstatic because most of my life is me being like, did you guys happen to see the eyebrows in Freaky? And everyone's like, Lindsay, no one wants your dissertation. (laughs) Lindsay, <laughs> I'm obsessed with eyebrows in eyebrows and wow. movies, especially. Oh, okay. I'm gonna great. I'm gonna message um, you about eyebrows now. <laughs> I like I like you know, I listen. <laughs> I am elated. Like I know I'm not <laughs> portraying that as well. No, you uh, are as usual, but I am elated by this revelation. I'm ecstatic that you brought it up. Um yeah, shout out to Mademoiselle's eyebrows. What's up? We appreciate you. What is it about the eyebrows that are in particular so stunning in this? Like what draws you to the eyebrows? They're just so thin. Yeah. And dramatic. Hold on. Let me pull up. I need you to pull up a picture of her. I'm really grabbing a picture. I think they're not. I mean, her look is, is, it's curated. Certainly she's wearing a good amount of makeup. Her eyebrows look super drawn on. They're very of like a specific above the brow drawing. Like if you were to look at her, okay, listen, you brought this on yourselves. If you're to look at her natural brow, it would not point in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's no. definitely exaggerated upwards. And the uh, arch, like just around like the tail end of the arch is where her turban covers them up. Yes. Just like a really cool, listen, it's a great way to get a good lift. Mm-hmm. it's almost campy it's like yeah. almost campy I like you almost kind of like enough if you were remembering her would picture that she had some like glowing brooch at the front of her turban mm-hmm. yes in like a witchy way and she's got these like tiny red red glasses yes. that she looks through and she just has this like very stunning horrifying look 
Mm-hmm. Gosh, very scary. Like she would step on me and shatter my skull immediately. She yeah. looks a little bit like Mrs. Garrett from The Facts of Life. Which was a show that was on when I was very young. Okay. All right. All right. So, sorry. I, this eyebrow interlude. Okay. <laughs> that like, is fair. Oh, eyebrows. I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, my God. <laughs> so glad I could. Wonderful. I'm so glad I could bring it up. All this right. Podcast. We have a we have a couple questions from uh from the from our friends over in Twitter. So let's answer those really quick and then wrap things up. I'm losing my voice. Ooh. All right, so from Twitter, from our friend Jenny Nolf, uh, at Jenny Lay X33, friend of the pod. She was a guest on, oh God, I'm drawing a blank. Final, Final Destination 2. Uh, yes. Yes. I wanna, uh, yes. From the archives. Um, why did you choose to begin with the best of French extremity? Also, Criterion win. Um, I think you we answered. Of, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. No, that's all right. <laughs> You say, you say you want to like, you're like we answered it, bitch. You know, we like, answered. Oh. God, fucking move on. I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Whoa. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jenny. That was aggressive. I apologize. It's, it's very aggressive. Very hurtful. Um, <laughs> oh, we, this, we, movie, this movie has got me feeling some type of, type of way. We're going to end. We're going to post a 10 minute video of just kittens and puppies after this. Um, I would say we started with it because it's the best because we wanted to like dive right in and rather than build up to it, you know, we um, rather than take the Marvel, uh, the Marvel universe approach where you slowly build up to like your big tent pole, like gang up movie. We took the <laughs> DC universe approach, which is just throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what happens approach and nothing is connected in any meaningful way. I guess Does that makes sense. Um, I mean, yeah, yes. but you know, mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you think of that new Joker, Lindsay? I don't want to talk about it. Excellent. Oh my okay. God. Don't want- <laughs> <laughs> no. Moving on. Not the, di- <laughs> not, no. not the discourse, please. Criterion win. I don't know. I mean, like this is a hard, like the Blu-ray is discontinued. Um, the, you can't even rent it anywhere except Apple TV. You have to buy it uh, for streaming. So I don't make these decisions. I wouldn't mind. I would love to see like a scream or shout factory. Really. I was going to say, I feel like this is one of those movies that's prime for one of those boutique places to pick it up for a re-release. Hopefully. Hopefully. So Heather Buckley and Justin Beam, if you're hearing us right now, get on it and let's get like a special edition of Martyrs going. Um, Please. I'll write the booklet. Well, I'll write the book. All three of mm-hmm. us will write the booklet. Absolutely. Yes, everyone's like, Lindsay, she seems to know what she's talking about. about she knows so much about it. <laughs> Five pages on eyebrows would be wonderful. Oh and my God, an analysis. I was thought I could deliver. No so, problem. Lindsay, you want to take this next one? Sure. Um, our good pal at Attorney at Space was a very fun podcast, by the way. Um, about movies and law. That was really fun. Um, he asks, uh, once you've seen the film once, does the shock value hold up? I honestly was less affected after my first viewing, still not a fan of long periods of, of a woman suffering. And I knew it was going to happen. I love the memory of the flick though. So hmm. yeah. Does the shock value hold up for you upon rewatch or do you kind of prefer it as a memory? It, it more than it, held up for me. It, um, I actually appreciate this movie a lot more on the rewatch. It's something that I thought if we weren't doing it for the show, I probably never would have watched it again. 
And I found that like, it really, I got a much deeper appreciation for it on the rewatch. I agree. It's like this, it's this weird thing where it's like, I never wanted to watch it again. And so I just had it as this like weird mythical film Mm -hmm. in my head that was so terrible. And then I rewatched it and I Mm -hmm. thought this is actually gorgeous. And I think because I wasn't as shocked, I could see deeper into what the violence was like, what it was being used for and Mm -hmm. how it was actually a really cool use of violence rather than just shock Mm -hmm. after shock after shock. I have only watched it once, so I'm not the right person to answer that one, but (laughs) I'm happy my esteemed colleagues were able to uh, answer that for me. I would say with Valentine's Day (laughs) coming For you, I should say. Maybe this will replace Casablanca as the Valentine's Day movie. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So that was our talk on Martyrs. Um, We hope, listeners, that you enjoyed it. Uh, we enjoyed bringing it to you. I really love this discussion overall. Um, before we move on here and close the show, I want to give a shout out to two of our new patrons who joined us this past week at the Michael level. Thank you so much to Michael Evans and Peter uh, Radwanski. Both of you guys stepped up, did what's right, and are giving us a couple bucks a month so we can keep bringing you the content and add to quote unquote the discourse. Now we really appreciate that. <laughs> Um, honestly, we really appreciate, we know like money is tight and anyone that, you know, enjoys us enough to like help us, like bring you this show. We really appreciate it. I can tell you where, you know, some of the money is going to go to like improving my microphone and, you know, there's that shout factory sale right now. And I'm thinking like psycho two, three, and four are on sale and I need to maybe talk to Lindsay about doing those movies. Um, That's not a note from me. That is that is where uh, your patronage goes. So thank you so much. So to our guest, Mary Beth, where can we find you? And what's coming up with Scar for Life? Um, so you can find me on Twitter at MB McAndrews. That's where you can find all of my writing and all the various things I've got going on. Um, Please follow the podcast at Scarred Podcast. We, Terry and I talk to people in all over the horror industry about the film that scared them as kids. So coming up, we're talking to um, Keith Thomas, director of The Vigil, about the movie. That- Thomas, I'm so excited to hear that. Cool. He's so lovely. He is such coolest. a lovely person. He is the coolest. So we talked to him about Phenomena. So that episode's coming soon. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so I have a p- chapter coming out in the House of Lee's publishing book, Filtered Reality, which is all about found footage. And I'm writing about ch- true crime, Lake Mungo and the Poughkeepsie tapes. Excellent. All so, oh, Lake Mungo eight, and the Poughkeepsie yes. tapes. What, um, you know, I should have asked because you love found footage. I do. Like you are the found footage person. So when we do paranormal activity, you're in. Um whether or I not watched all six to. for my birthday by myself. So I I'd love to love do that. I wanted to say excellent. Do I want to say excellent? Yes. No, you say excellent. It was fun. Okay. Yes. Okay. It was fun. Um, what is it like if what are a couple underappreciated found footage movies? If you were to steer someone, I would put home movie on that list with Adrian Pesdar, which is hard to find. I have but- I have not seen Home Movie yet. I do really want to see. That's like next mm-hmm. on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a couple that I would recommend: um, Murder Death, Koreatown, um, Webcast. What's Webcast? 
webcast is this really awesome folk horror found footage movie Mm -hmm. um where a college student and her friend go home to kind of try to solve the death of her aunt and they Mm -hmm. actually discover this like cult um go like cult uh in her neighborhood that is sacrificing people circling this movie right now and yeah it's really so it's like one of those fun footage movies that it's on amazon prime and like Mm -hmm. no one probably watches it but it's really really good um Mm -hmm. And then uh, Butterfly Kisses. Mm-hmm. That is a like pseudo documentary type about a creature that is a, like that you see at the end of a bridge. And if you like look at him for over an hour, he blinks and he, he tickles your face with his eyelashes. And it's very creepy. And it's this whole so it's like- about my uncle? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, a, it's like a, found footage movie within a found footage movie and mm-hmm. it's really cool so those are Smart. a couple that i would recommend that are kind Excellent. of like a little off the beaten path and how did you come up you and terry come up with the idea to kind of delve into childhood horror like what was the impetus for it's so funny it's such a funny story because it was just like terry one day tweeted about it he's like wow it'd be so cool to talk about movies as scardis as kids and mm-hmm. a couple of years ago before i was really writing i wanted to do a podcast about that but just talk to my friends and family like it wouldn't be anyone anyone mm-hmm. knew it would just be me talking to friends about it and it never got off the ground because i didn't know how to do podcasts and mm-hmm. then terry tweeted that and i said holy shit we have to do this like i had the same idea so we started talking on twitter and we're like oh i guess we're really gonna do mm-hmm. it and then here we are. And you're coming up in two years now, if I recall. Year right? and a half. Yeah. Year and a yeah. half. Oof. Yeah. It goes yeah, by October, quick. October 2018 is mm-hmm. no, 2019 is when we started. Excellent. Which is wild. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining the show. You're definitely invited back. Oh, um, this is know, so fun. Thanks for having me talk about this movie. I love this no, movie so thank much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it is a pleasure having you eyebrow talk i mean we had it all we covered it all on this one Lindsay. what do you have coming up my friend um nothing too exciting the new issue of grim magazine is available for order on print now which is really exciting it's also available for free online you should get it um my makeup and horror column is inching closer and closer to being just about eyebrows um, it's so good it's so the magazine is so beautiful and your column is so good and it is just thank you a beautiful um, thing thank you oh i'm so excited i just got my copy and i haven't read it yet, but i'm just like really, really excited about it so my, please mine came it. yesterday and i opened it and i was like i, I went ooh, it's rubbing the cover yeah i literally just like pet it and then like put it somewhere safe i like yep. my, yeah um, but I will eventually, you know, and I'll probably, what I do is like, I always want the print one because it looks so pretty. And then I read the digital one because mm-hmm. I don't yep. want to get like fingerprints on it, which is mm-hmm. bizarre. It's like a collector's listen. item. Yeah. No, I'm, the same, I'm the same way. I'm like, don't break the spine. Yeah, don't rip keep it. Because I'm like notoriously like brutal to books. Like all my books look like they've been like through a war. <laughs> but like, so I'm like, no, not to this magazine. So Grim Magazine, um, you can buy it. Um on anatomy of a scream um and uh, i'll tweet out the link to it if you guys are looking for it find me on twitter at smash travis s-m-a-s-h-t-r-a-v-e-s um you can see i've got a few reviews uh by the time this comes out i'm covering real love fest this weekend which i'm pretty excited about um which is uh, this will probably be too late by the time we get to it but if you were looking for a chance to watch dinner in america now's your chance to watch oh. it from the states i love that movie. <laughs> there you go um, um and i should have some things coming out of that 
Excellent. Well, you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can find me also over at Pod and Penned over on Twitter. Uh, I am the loudmouth that runs that account. Find us over at facebook.com slash pod and the pendulum. We got a nice little group going on over there now. We keep it very simple and very friendly and very nice. Um, you can find my other show, the Psychoanalysis Podcast, a horror therapy podcast. We are, I honestly think like we are doing some of our best work right now. Um, so good. I, yeah, it's, we just recorded, uh, by the time this comes out, our Candyman episode will be like right around the corner uh, where we did like two hours on like generational trauma and institutional racism on Candyman. And I think it's like some of the best work we've done. Um, I think right now what will be out for Valentine's day is our episode, our comfort horror episode on Bram Stoker's Dracula or Dracula who fucks is like to call that movie uh, joined by Gina of kill by kill is our guest for that. Um, but yeah, we, and oh, in a few weeks, you'll be able to hear the one and only Lindsay Travis talk about her love for Terminator 2 on that show. So, um, yeah, I'm like, world, I feel like George Costanza, my worlds, <laughs> worlds are colliding. colliding. Summer of George. All <laughs> right, a George divided cannot stand. Cannot stand. <laughs> I will not make that joke 10 times when we record tomorrow night. You had better um, is all I'm saying. You oh, had better make that joke. <laughs> so listeners, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast or ever you get your podcast. Tell your friends about us. Tweet your friends about us. Send us money. Send us cakes. Send us pie. Anything. And we hope... Honestly, God, folks, we hope that you leave the show feeling absolutely ruined and devastated. So until we see in two weeks, uh, what are we coming back with? What the hell are we next? Yeah, well, I'm just asking in general. I'm asking the listeners, like, do they know what we're doing next? I don't know, but I'm going to let you. Let's have a look right now. Okay, let's <laughs> do this last bit over. Okay, we will be back in, Jesus Christ, we'll be back in two weeks with Frontiers. <laughs> I was like, it's Frontiers, right? <laughs> God damn it. This movie, it is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake that we should have gotten. It is an absolute fucking brutal movie. Um, so yeah, uh, unrelenting. New Friends Extremity, yay! yay. <laughs> We're gonna join our, so I think we need to do like UHF in between or something, something fun. All right, we'll be back in two weeks. Enjoy. <laughs>